ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Two Daves in a Doc. You'll notice that there is only a Dave and a Doc today, and that's because the other guy decided to uh, take a breather, I suppose, and we all need those moments. This is a note to all you PhDers. Breathe. Take some time for yourself. Don't get on podcasts with two other bearded guys and expect to, <laughs> expect to survive the long haul. All Very that to true. be said. Very true. Here today to talk to you a little bit about public early early publication you know publish early publish often i think is a, a maximum i have i've heard and and a little bit about writing writing styles so colin what are what actually are we talking about today <laughs> yeah yeah so i thought it's kind of it's at a point i think all three of us well there's two of us here so the other guy doesn't exist when he's not here um he, he we keep him in the closet he's in that closet there he's just turned off for the day um <laughs> Yeah, but I think we're at that stage now because, you know, after Christmas, academia is spinning back up again. So there's a couple of kind of conference and paper publications that I've seen flowing around that we're probably going to be working on over the next couple of months. So he said it would be a nice stage to kind of talk about in the earliest stages of your PhD. What sort of publication opportunities are there? What sort of events are there? How can you get yourself and your research out into the world at large? And when you're starting, it's kind of unknown. You don't really know how the process works, the styles. Most people have not had the experience, the joyous experience of dealing with reviewer number two yet, which, you know, is the arch enemy of all academic work, which if you've not had the pleasure of being acquainted with reviewer number two, that pleasure's coming soon. So I thought, yeah, we just have a kind of chat about it and discussion about it, a kind of how it works and then the process around it. And then, as you said, some writing styles and how do you adapt your writing style to doing an external publication? Because you might write your PhD in a specific style, but your external publications might necessitate a different style or a different mannerism or whatever. So, yeah, I think we should kind of talk at, about that a little bit. Yeah. So it is the call for paper season, right? Well, let's, let's start there. Everybody gets these in your inboxes. I know I do. You know, if you're a member of ResearchGate, you're gonna you're gonna get flooded with things all the time. You uh, you've found a couple conferences that you want to attend, right? You know, or you've attended in the past. You know, something whatever gets the juices flowing, as they say. You know, for for your for your PhD, and inevitably early in spring, as everybody starts to well early well winter whatever winter of our discontents as the case may be you know like <laughs> you get these these emails start coming out hey call for papers so we want all your papers for submission due by march 15th or whatever for this conference that is in august and you're going what the actual heck am i going to write about all this stuff so let's start there like what what are these call for papers all about right what are what are we trying to do what are, how do we get in the door there with something that you know is that we're interested in that you know, maybe, maybe it would fit. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you're right. Call for paper season. You get it. You're flooded. You have to decide which ones. And as you said, a long lead time. Most of them have an awful lot of a long lead time on them. So it can kind of be strange to think about writing a paper now or submitting an idea for presentation in a year's time, maybe. So, yeah, the two kind of avenues at the early stages are kind of one, self-led, where you identify conferences that would be beneficial for your own work. Maybe they have a great selection of speakers that will be very relevant to you and you can do collaborations with or partnerships with. Maybe it's in a specific field, maybe it's a specific journal, maybe it's a specific industry, whatever it may be, you can identify them. And then you will just follow that conference and the conference will have a call for submissions or a call for abstracts or whatever. 
or you will then just identify general lists. I know there's websites and I know there's email lists and associations that will then do semi-regular call for paper updates and you'll get an email to say in your industry here are the call for papers whether it's IEEE or whether it's a specific industry conference they will come on but your interaction mechanism with them are very very similar so most of them will do as you said a call for papers and it's basically the conference organizer saying look here is what our event is about here is the industry it's in here are the details for it Previously, always in person, but now with COVID online, an awful lot of them, and that will probably stay even post-COVID for an awful lot of um, events. And they will say, look, here are our headings. They're normally separated into tracks or chairs or specific sections, and they could be as general as we have an AI track, we have a machine learning track, we have a drone tech track, or it can be very, very niche speciality, like specific chemical process tracks or whatever it may be. And then the call for paper is the call for papers is to give you all of the information you need to submit something. It will always it will either have a form. So there's like conference sharing softwares. Easy chair is very, very common. And you can submit your abstract under a specific chair or under a specific call or under a specific topic. And then that will be reviewed by the conference organizers. And then you will either be declined you will be accepted with specific suggestions or changes, or you'll be accepted onto the kind of program. So it's nearly like an audition phase with your abstract. And that's kind of the generalized process for it. And that can even be fraught with kind of complexities as well, because depending on conferences, depending on events, they can have different offerings. So I remember I applied to a conference that had a general track publication, and you could apply for a presentation of your work to your specific track. They had a separate one that could apply to the overall conference. So, you know, like the higher level, the, the cream of the crop for want of a better word. And you could pl apply to do your presentation in front of all conference attendees. Other ones had, there's new elements now, like borrowed from the startup world, competitive tracks, elevator tracks, pitching tracks, yep. where, you know, maybe you record a little video about your work beforehand and the attendees vote on the ones they want to hear the most. And then you'll be invited to speak a specific track. And then a good thing to note as well about this stage is the difference between publications and presentations. So they're kind of similar, but very different at the same time. Publications go into a journal and, you know, you're publishing to a specific journal, but most presentations and conferences and everything, they will publish the best or the majority of their, their submissions in a journal paper, you know, a special conference presentation or a special conference journal after under a specific goal. I know it's very common in IEEE, and Dave probably looks like he has an example of one there. Here's one, one of my favorites and something that I'm looking at. This is a uh, materiality and organizing. And this, these were conference presentations, as I recall, that are bound together into a kind of a journal or it's done by Oxford University Press, which is notorious for doing that. Um, so yeah, real case in point. These were presentations that were done in a certain way, shape or form. You know, exactly. Tightened up and put into, bound together and pushed exactly, out. Yeah. And that's the kind of process of it is like you would apply. So, you know, you apply with your abstract, it gets reviewed, you might get feedback, you might get requested <laughs> for updates. A couple of weeks, preferably before the conference is on, you'll submit your actual full paper, which will again be reviewed fully. On the day of the conference, you will go and present it either in person or online. And your presentation basically synthesizes the output of your paper. And then after the conference is over, you will have another chance to refine and kind of update and tweak 
and then there will be a set cutoff date after the conference in which submissions will be accepted until they will then be further reviewed mainly at that stage it's for formatting and every any little errors or that sort of stuff and then will be published either in a hard copy conference presentation like dave showed or on an online portal an awful lot of them are indexed with scopus or they'll go in ieee publications and journals with their own dois and then it will be a publication for you to then add to your kind of academic CV and things like that going forward. So and a question that I think an awful lot of people at the earliest stages of PhD think about is what can you actually write about for these early mm -hmm. stage conferences? You might not have even secured or tied down your idea. You might not have a project plan yet. But what I always kind of recommend to students that I work with and what I did when I did mine was write in general in your field something that's related to what you do. So I know I investigated innovation and whatever, and I was looking at applying technology to different industries. So some of my earliest publications in the PhD were me applying, working on external projects, applying technology solutions to different fields, and then writing about the process or approach or the outcomes of what we did. So I did some digitization work and 3D modeling work. I did some 3D printing work and an awful lot of that in biology or medicine. So, you know, I could publish in a biology conference about digitization samples in biology, or I could publish in a medical journal about 3D printing and prosthetics, not directly related to the outcomes of my PhD, but very relevant to the journey and the approach that I was on. And during the course of doing that work, I was mapping that work and all of the outcome from that applied directly to my PhD work. So that is something, and I think that that's what we're probably going to work on together over the next couple of months yep. as well, is projects exactly like that, either mapping previous experiences, analyzing communities, analyzing innovation processes yep. on problems we work with, and just kind of backdating it. So, you know, like, do you have any ideas for stuff like that for you now at the minute? Yeah, so I mean, this, this has been kind of the tricky bit. So I work, you know, my... My PhD kind of thesis or idea, or at least the seminal ideas of my question are really around data and social agency, right? And we've seen this, we've lived through this through COVID, right? And for all intents and purposes. So there's a lot of different avenues that I've kind of looked down. There was the initial inception of what I was going to do, which was around serology, right? So a more medically focused thing, which... <laughs> By the way, getting ethics clearance for doing anything within COVID is, is kind of a pain in the uh, in the rear end. So that kind of getting ethics clearance full that diverges super quick, and and that and that's fine. But like along alongside of that, there became this interesting pivot because a lot of what we live every day is around data. You know, like the the iWatch, I have an Aura Ring, right? These little things. So really kind of looking at the experiential stuff now that we're stuck within these four walls right whether you're on restriction or you're you know having to work remotely or or whatever you know so that started tweaking too and so a lot of what i've looked at you know especially since i work in industry myself right so i'm going industry to academia and actually this was an interesting conversation that we had the other day with antoinette forthcoming the that kind of going from enterprise to academia and not the other way around has kind of, you know, I now have to kind of rethink and reshape where these are going. So using something like Jane uh, to go and look at where does my topics, where, where there's some of the journals that fit with that idea. And I know we'll talk about journals in a little bit, but then start to line up conferences and start to see, all right, I'm used to going to supercompute every year. Well, what I'm talking about is data. It's not necessarily applicable to supercompute as a general concept, right? So that's an industry, you know, show so to speak, or industries where they talk about academic stuff, everybody goes to it. So yeah, I'm not going to do that. 
So it's starting to go through and winnow, winnow down those ideas, but really looking at, I can talk to data. I can talk to social agency. I can talk to, I have enough research done at this point that I can do kind of a, a cursory review of some of the seminal work that's been done, right? And figure out what, what's there. So that's been kind of the consideration process at this point. And like you, like you alluded to, you know, you and I have a history through last year working a lot within these community bases and it's tangential to what I've done, but a lot of my experiences in those type of things. So finding and actually aligning myself with other people, either within our cohort or, you know, based on this, who are in academia and looking at how can I join along their process as well, you know, get some experience along the way, you know, be able to adequately contribute to what they're doing, if they'll be author one, if you will, and we can go into the authorship rankings, if you will, which uh, I've learned a little bit about in the past couple of, uh, couple of months, but you know, really kind of going along trying to get that experience along the way because writing academically, and we'll talk about writing as a, a little bit too, writing academically, academically, right, is a lot different than writing narratives. I mean, you are writing a narrative, but you're doing some of this stuff. So a lot of experiential. So to answer your question, yeah, a lot of these things are being explored currently. The conference path haven't really gone down. Another thing I think to also amplify is also the, the idea of poster sessions, poster board sessions, which is a big portion of conferences. Again, your paper may not be accepted or your abstract may not be accepted, or it may be accepted for something like poster board sessions, which are unique and different. Um, again, it's a way to kind of formalize your idea. You know, you're given literally a blank canvas and you're putting together something now virtually now they become something a little bit different, but you're given this blank canvas to kind of present your, your topical idea. So highlight a little bit about poster boards and uh, <laughs> how those things are done. You mentioned a good point there. We come with the poster boards regarding blank canvas. It was an interesting kind of revelation point I had at some stage that way. Yeah. So as David said, you could, uh, you can be invited to present a poster in general, it uh, poster presentations are offered or requested by earlier stage researchers, people that are earlier in the process, formatting their ideas, or in some cases at the end of the process, when you maybe have your publications done and you just want to promote or distribute your concept or idea in your specific industry. And it may work better for you to show it visually. So like, yeah, generally a poster board presentation is more like, you know, an open forum where, as David said, you're given most conference schedules have scheduled poster sessions. They're generally around breaks and around lunch breaks. And it gives people a chance to kind of decompress from the heavy presentations and explore and wander around the little village of posters, let's say. So you will be given your poster sheet and you can convey whatever your project, whatever your research is on that poster. It might run for 30 minutes, 60 minutes, whatever it may be. And you're present next to your poster to answer any questions anyone has about the work you're doing. So it's a really good way to get connected to the people that are in your area, convey your message, convey your idea, convey your research to other people and have them more inter like impersonal or not more personal conversations, let's say, on your specific work. You find collaborators, you find external supporters. It's a really, really kind of good session. To, to get involved in and it kind of breaks the ice as David said you know you get used to talking about research you get used to academic language you get used to the questions that are asked of you in these academic conferences maybe before the stage you're ready to go up and stand up in front of a couple of hundred people and say here is my research here is the work here is the outcomes so they are kind of very very beneficial and I always remember being able to identify the people when I do conferences overseas 
I could always identify the people on my flight that were going from Ireland where, or Dublin when I am to the same conference as me <laughs> because you generally find them with a poster tube that's much bigger with the poster in it and they're trying to pr- frantically protect the poster from being destroyed by baggage carriers and aircraft in their specific mm-hmm. conferences. And like I'd always wondered, and it was difficult, I'd, got, I'd brought posters with me and tried to protect them. I folded them up and that definitely didn't work. I looked at getting them printed at specific locations and that was difficult depending on location until one of the poster presentations I was at, somebody had theirs printed on fabric. Ah, And then I was like, yeah, and I was like, yeah, look, I just take it down. I fold it up. I can like jam it into my pocket or fold it into my luggage. It's a poster. (laughs) Like it's fabric. I just hang it up and it's good to go. And I was like, that's clever. Like that's yeah. So how meta post- could you actually be at that point? <laughs> You're given a blank canvas, so you print it on canvas, and you, you kind of present it that way. But yeah, no, they're 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 an excellent kind of event yeah. and a session to do that. How now they're going to work in digital world? I'm not sure, but like I expect them to be back very very quickly because it's a great kind of practice and networking approach for these kind of early style publications. And then you can also claim the poster as a publication of a sort afterwards. It's not a journal publication, but it's a more visual publication. And I've seen some great researchers and I'll present their posters as, you know, more pop culture or general knowledge information publications about their work. They share it via social media. They share it on websites. They share it in specific areas and it can kind of amplify and help other people understand what you're doing and build really, really beneficial partnerships from that. Yeah, and if you think about it as a research guide as well, if you're able to distill your idea down to these, you know, we've talked way early in the beginning of this this wonderful journey about that head, heart, that plumb line, right? Think of that as exemplifying this. If you can't distill your idea down to something like, you know, uh, in, in where I work, and I work in messaging when it comes to how you relay product or technology ideas to market. If you can't distill that down to three basic concepts, you're not doing your job right because people don't pay attention to heavy, complex things. It's just a rule of how stuff goes along. They'll, they'll read, but they'll read in pieces. But you want to be able to kind of convey your idea in as simple manner as possible. In using just three basic threads, you can call it the rule of threes or whatever. Um, so a lot of this, even the mentorship stuff that you and I have done with startups, it's always trying to get your idea out in the simplest fashion possible, right? How do I understand what you're trying to do? What is it? What? How does it apply to me? And then what are the next steps, right? These, these three basic things. So if anything, poster is actually helping you formalize the ease, you know, your your topic, and it should get make you pause for thought. I'm like. How heavy of a topic is this? Am I doing this the right way? <laughs> Am I able to convey this in the simplest language? Because there's that great divide between academia and let's say the pro, you know, the the the, the normal, if you will, or the the society at large, right? And you want to bridge that gap because if you're not able to convey your ideas, what what are you doing? Like that's we're all working towards something, right? I want to see your excitement. It can be about Heidegger, and I pick on Heidegger a lot. And so I apologize to all you philosophers out there who love Heidegger. But if I'm not able to convey the ideas of Heidegger to, you know, my mom, and you've talked about this before too, if I, my mom or my grand can actually understand what I'm doing, I'm doing it the right way, then if you can convey that, then you, you got something going on there, and somebody will actually be able to understand it. So it's formative thing. Same thing with like Antoinette from 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 before. The fact that somebody was able to say, I did something with your stuff, whether it be philosophically oriented, whether it be practically oriented or whatever, that's the amazing part. That's a connection that you have there. So it's, it's a beautiful thing to be able to, to get that 
brought to it, market, so to speak. It's a beautiful thing, but also can be very tumultuous and stressful, let's say. So it could be your first, second, third. It could be it's you basically bearing your research soul, let's say. Here is my project. Here is my work, right? And an awful lot of people are going to like it, but an awful lot of people also are going to dislike it. And, you know, in academic circles in particular, sugarcoating is generally not done. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> I remember a friend of mine saying in academic circles, people will say things to your face that they wouldn't in the general population because you, they get punched in their face if they did. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of, exactly. you, you kind of have to, it builds up a kind of resilience and all, and a kind of like, you've got, you, you learn how to kind of protect yourself from feedback. Yeah. Like feedback is necessary. Criticism is necessary. But you criticize the work and not the person. You criticize the aspect and not the, you know, not the body of work that the person did or their motivations. So it builds up that kind of resilience that you'll need in that academic space. And like, again, that kind of is a nice segue into your kind of reviewers. So, you know, your work is going to be reviewed, whether it's a conference publication, journal publication, or even a conference poster. You'll still submit an abstract and then that work will be reviewed. So, you know, generally, it's always normally more than one person between two and three individuals. And they will kind of, it'll be spread out. A conference or an organization will have a reviewer pool. I've done it before. It's where you'll get a selection, a randomized selection of topics and abstracts. You review them and then you, you know, you, you give them, you give your opinion on them. And then the opinions are collated and that ends up in a specific result. So that's when you get into your different reviewers. And if anyone is not familiar, that's where reviewer two comes up, mainly for journal publications. So when you get your reviews back, they're de-identified. So you don't know who they are from, which is exactly above board as it should be. Generally, it's a kind of strange quirk that reviewer one's feedback always seems to be better than reviewer two. And reviewer two can be absolutely brutal. Like yeah. they, their job is to kind of break your soul with their review, <laughs> with their feedback. So again, you get used to it. And again, it's not you, you learn not to be personal with it. The person might not understand your work fully. They might have tried to do your work before and it failed for them. They might have a completely different view on what your work is. But the whole process of this feedback and peer review is to give you quality information and feedback so you can make your work better. Nothing beyond that. Not personal, not a critique on you, not a critique on what you've done. More, here's how you make this work even better going forward. So you get used to that, and then generally there'll be a review cycle for all of these publications where you will get your feedback, and then if it's accepted, you can make your review changes and reaccept, and it's generally a minor occurrence for conferences in particular that you make these specific changes, or it will be rejected. And there's like, it's, it's, it's an unenviable job for the conference organizers having to sift through all of the submissions. When I did it, I found it quite strange that there's this really strange quirk of people submitting applications for conferences, mainly to get fraudulent visas, which was an eye-opening experience for me. Wow. And, you know, certain sectors of the world. I remember one conference I was a reviewer on, I think I got eight papers with the same title and same content from eight different individuals from one specific country in the world. I won't say what it, where it is, yep. but one specific country in the world. And they all just submitted it. And the idea is if the paper happened to be accepted, and I don't actually have a clue how any of them are, but if it was, these individuals could apply to a visa to travel for student or presentation purposes. And when they land in the country, they disappear into the wind. Yep. So it's a hard process. So if yep. it takes time, if your feedback takes time, if it is critical, if the process doesn't work, don't hold it against the reviewers. Don't hold it against the conference organizers. 
improve and take from it as much as you can and then iterate into that that circle and that cycle. Yep. So, I mean, that's conferences. You you look at journals. Journals are not tied to the same kind of cycle, right? So let's talk a little bit about journals here for a, for a moment because that's another opportunity for publication. It should be, I'd argue, it probably would be your primary method of publication for most of these things. Now, we talked to chaos early on, right? That's the preprint side. It's great to get your stuff out there, start getting it into that peer cycle and understand that stuff. Again, to your point about the psychological impact of the reviewers, understand it's not, it's not personal, it's business, right? When it comes down to it, academia is business for all intents and purposes, right? So taking that from a, from a standpoint of it's not you, it's the content and there's room for always room for improvement. Even if yours is accepted, there could be accepted with changes. There could be exceptions um, based on language. Now we have a lot of international folks that listen to this as well. So understanding that read those guidelines for submission, read them over and over and over again. Most of them will highlight or have some rubric and they'll talk a little bit of writing here just as an interstitial. Read those guidelines as much as possible. So for example, I'm doing, I'll be doing my thesis in APA, APA sixth, sixth edition, right? That's how I choose to do it. It's what I'm familiar with. That's what I'm comfortable with. Within our program, we're allowed to choose a style as long as you stick with it, right? So everything I'm gonna do is gonna be an APA. There's a particular journal that I'm gonna be submitting to at some point, which is requiring everything be written in Chicago, you know, Chicago style. Now, I'm gonna to have to go through and figure out what Chicago style is, because it is completely unfamiliar to me. I, you know, thankfully Mendeley and Note, you know, these things have the ability to change your citations very, very quickly into whatever format and style that it is. But it's written in bold letters in the journal submission guidelines. This is the way you're supposed to go. So that's one aspect is, you know, formatting your references and understanding how those things go. The other style is, remember, you're having a conversation to a certain extent about your stuff, your topic, your excitement, your passions, right? Familiarity, as the phrase goes, breeds contempt. And you have to be very, very cautious that when you write, you're not writing contemptuously. And I say that in, in, in the nature of, it's not a one-to-one -one conversation like Colin and I are having right now. You are writing to an audience that does not know you from a hole in the ground. <laughs> You're writing to an audience of, you know, reviewer one, two, three, could be multiple reviewers. And again, they're gonna be looking at your data. They're gonna be looking at how you frame your concepts and ideas, and they're gonna be brutal. They're gonna be looking to see, does this appeal to their audiences that they understand that they know within their subject matter and expertise? And if you're writing in a familiar kind of format and for fashion, there's an opportunity there for them to look at you and say, you're not treating this with the respect that's due this particular industry, this particular concept, this particular idea. And that can be off-putting and that can actually change the dynamic. Your content may be great. Your idea may be great. Your writing may be great, but it's not going to be relayed in the fashion and form that they want it. So idea of business writing, and I would urge you to go talk to uh, library systems usually within a university are great for these writing classes. Get in there and have a sit down with some of those writing experts and say, hey, listen, this is the way, here's an example of what I've written before. If you've written some of these papers before and have them go through and analyze your writing style, run it by a couple of friends, like, you know, in my case, Colin, who's done publications before, uh, like Dr. Emma Smith, like Antoinette, any of these folks, run it by them and say, does this 
actually fit within a rubric of an academic writing. So, I mean, Colin, from your experience, you know, going from, as you said, the non-academic side to the academic side, you know, how does it, how does that end up, uh, how does that end up working for you? Yeah, I think I'd like, I'd probably be a bad person to talk about that because I got quite lucky as in before I even started my PhD, I had a couple of publications done mainly because I was working as a researcher in a university on research projects. So I'd learn from the other people that wrote with me, the style, the format, the structure. And I think one of the biggest things that I got from that was objectivity and like formality. You, it's not, it's not like you conveying your research to the world, but it's conveying it very objectively. This is what I did. Here is why it is important. Here is the industry I work in or the field saying also why it is important. Here is a relevant approach to show you that my method has some external backing. Here are the results and here's what I intend to do afterwards. You know, it's not you saying, look how great my work is. It's you (laughs) saying, here is my work as objectively as possible. And it can be hard to get into that framework and like that mindset of writing that way because it is very unnatural and unhuman a way to write, you know? So I remember when I review work, I regularly see from students, they write, I did, and, you know, I I worked on and that sort of stuff. Whereas like, it is a very big mind shift to go to the author worked on or the author did such and such, or, you know, the process did. You have to kind of, like depersonalize it you're writing at it like you're looking at it from a distance it's your work but you're writing at it from a distance so you know the early stage publications are the perfect chance for you to do that get used to do it paper presentations poster presentations paper publications any sort of journal events there's specific events journals and publications in most universities for early stage researchers journal clubs or specific kind of conference events like early stage research events which they're an awful lot more forgiving for helping and giving you this feedback to learn your writing style. So not only during the course of your PhD, are you developing out what your project is going to be? You're also developing out your space in that specific field. You're also developing your own personal academic style, but then you're also learning how to write effectively, how to present effectively, and how to kind of depersonalize that whole process. So like that stuff is super important. You're not good at it at the beginning and you have to constantly improve yourself at it and identify what you, what issues you do. I have a tendency to write extremely long sentences, which generally doesn't fit most conference publications or journal publications. So, you know, I make a yeah. conscious effort to reduce the length of the sentences. Yeah. You know, it's it, that you get used to that sort of style. And then as they've said, yeah, share it with other people, people that have published in your space. And when you're reviewing a journal or a conference or any publications previously, as David said, what I like to do is write a kind of target list. What is the style? What is the format? What is their template? Make sure you have all the technicalities locked down before you submit. There's nothing more frustrating than you writing great work and submitting it. And in six months time, it gets rejected because you submitted the wrong style. You submitted the wrong format. You used the wrong template. Make sure you do all the basic necessities as per the requirements you're given early. And then also what I like to recommend to people do and what I do is read over previous publications, you know, from that journal or that conference just to get the style. You know, do they like more analytical approaches versus kind of situational? Do they have put a huge preference on your abstract section being significantly longer than others? Do they put huge emphasis on the outcome of results and, you know, your plans for continuation of that research after the results phase? 
you just get a feel for what it looks like and then you 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 might not gel with the journal or publication at all and then you find another one but preferably you'd want to adapt your work to maximize its chances of being published and then of course ask for feedback preprints are great you know kind of peers groups i know most universities have peer writing groups and peer publication groups and journal clubs and that sort of stuff so you know you do your practice beforehand and get a feel for the area to feel for how you write try and identify any of your own problems and then just accept it's going to take time your first couple of submissions might be rejections you know minimize the chances of that by writing with other people and as david said there's a hierarchy order and lots of people have different opinions on first author last author a generalized approach is the first author did the majority of the work and then, you know, sequentially back down through the contributors to how much they contributed, with a general exception being the last person on it is generally assumed to be the head of your department or head of your field or your overarching supervisor. But again, get a feel for that. That stuff in general doesn't really matter. But like some people really do like that sort of. It's procedural. Yeah. And it's really based on your university or your system and, and the program that you're working through. And yeah, all, all, all great words. I mean, again, it comes down to knowing your audience. You know, you're not going to submit an article on, you know, nanotechnology necessarily to the Lancet, you know, and God forbid, you know, maybe it will get accepted. Who knows? Maybe it's nanotechnology within the medical field, but know your audience, right? Don't just, you can cast wide and you can cast far with some of these things, but at a certain point, the law of diminishing returns is going to say, you're not going to get out of it what you put into it at all. So and be willing to fail on this stuff too. And you really, you're not failing if you get rejected. That's the best part about this. You're learning from that process. You're figuring out what I have to say and, and the method I'm trying to communicate to may not, may not be equal right now. And it's something that we have to work on that we have to go through. I know as again, coming from industry and working on messaging, <laughs> it's my day-to-day job. Those first ideas sometimes are absolute crap. <laughs> you know, like you sit there and you have this great idea and you want to put that out and you put it on paper, you commit it, and then you get people to read it. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, I didn't, didn't mean it that way. That's actually not being perceived this way. And in a global, you know, in, an, in a world of globalization and academia is truly a global institution. If you think about it, your meanings have to be timeless. They have to be borderless, right? You know, a lot of what you're talking to, unless it's, you know, sociological studies, notwithstanding and anthropological life wise as well. But like a lot of these things have to be borderless. They have to be understood in ways and in, in, in places that you didn't, didn't know you're going to be reaching. Right. So always focus on the, the end result there and don't and worry. Got- things gets rejected. True. And then you see that uh, you mentioned a good point. It's there's a time element. When you publish it, it is a footnote in time and in history. It will last in existence forever, which I think is amazing. Like, you know, yeah. a piece of your work will exist forever. And you never know in 50 years time, something I wrote three years ago could be a key piece in the creation of this new industry or future or whatever. That's kind of amazing. So keep a, keep an awareness of that. When you publish it, it pro- generally probably won't explode immediately unless you're like a new version of Einstein or something, but who knows? (laughs) Like, you know, you might say, look, here is my amazing work. And for a long, long time, people might not pick up on it, but it grows and it builds and it gathers pace. The more you publish, the more you write, the more you share, the more you talk, the more you work on all of that, not only increases your current work, but also compounds and improves all your previous work. 
somebody might see a paper I write next month and then that leads them to the papers I wrote last year and then it leads them to collaborative papers Dave that we'll write together and it just is an interconnected web so they do last forever they are very important put the effort in get your kind of eye into it and just be aware that the process is going to take time and the impact is going to take time to come from those papers as well but it's great get started early and then the one thing I can say is yeah as publish often publish as widely as possible different areas different fields different journals publish with different people collaboratively work with others I'm all about open collaboration with everybody so if there's any lasting tip I could give is yeah write often write openly and write with others you know on that I think that's a perfect place to end this one and uh you know also make use of PhD chat on Twitter for example, you know, look, there is, there are communities out there that are willing to help. And, you know, we're certainly here to, you know, as we explore our own journeys, but we're certainly here to advise on that. I know we'll talk about Vivas at some point, but you've put a real strong thread out there. It's actually been tweeted and retweeted and a whole bunch of stuff. People have really, really enjoyed that. So there's a lot of wisdom in this kind of community that we've built up around this. So with that, thanks for attending another, or thanks for listening, attending. <laughs> Classes in session, people. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of Two Days in the Dock, and we look forward to hearing you next time. Mm-hmm.